say amen? We mean yes. We agree. We agree. And so you can see that is the, the Nicene Creed. And uh, you might remember from your history classes, this was put into place in 325 AD. It was later kind of drawn to an official ratification in uh, 381. And so this was a foundation of the Christian faith. These are statements that Christians wanted to put together to say, now as Christianity is spreading even more, this is what we believe. Now, this morning, we're going to walk through, in our teaching time, we're going to walk through the Apostles' Creed. You might be familiar with it. It's a shorter version of what you just saw on the screen. And it may be something, does anybody remember, like, memorizing that back in your, your early days? Did you have to memorize? Yeah, a couple of you are like, yes. A couple of you are looking like, yes. Oh, Yeah. Well, these statements will be somewhat familiar to you, even if you don't have it memorized. And these are declarations of our Christian faith. Listen, I've been telling you in this series up till now, if it's just a declaration of a belief system, like by definition, this is what these Christians believe, then it doesn't really mean a whole lot to us. But if we're walking through each of these statements, like there is significance and power in my Christianity, in my walk with God and who I am as a believer in Christ— these are of incredible significance to us, practically as well. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you've got your sermon notes, take those out. We're going to walk right through them. And what I want to do is I want to connect with you the statements with the Bible passages as well that they came from. Now, there's many other Bible pas passages that would support these statements, but we'll just look at, at one or two each as we work through it. So sound good? All right, you're raring to go. I can hear it. So let's start with what we've been talking about is a definition of this thing called Christianity. So when I say I'm a Christian, this is what I mean. We said we're going to start this year off, fresh start, fresh look. What does it mean to be a Christian? And we said a Christian is somebody who puts their faith in trust, your faith and trust in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. What we're saying is I'm putting my faith and trust in this, my full faith and my full trust. Now, those can just be like, you know, words we say in the church world, but I've given examples each week of what it means to actually put faith and trust in something. When you're like putting yourself into someone else's hands, you think of that in terms of that's like faith, right? That's a surrender. There's trust there. And that's what we're talking about here. The faith and trust in the redeeming work of Jesus. Meaning when I look, I say, I need to be redeemed. There's something about my state and who I am that I need a God who will lift me up and redeem me and make me what he designed me to be in the first place. I need to be redeemed. And how does that happen? Through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That Jesus went to the cross. He died for me. And he rose from the dead. And in that, there is a conquering of death, an offering of life, and there's transformation that can happen in him. Now, again, we've been saying if we're not careful, we can take that first line and we can just call that a belief system. We want to make sure that we understand that this is practical and real and it changes who I am. <coughs> Excuse me. So the second line is our behavior mirrors, reflects, and resembles Christ. That I want to say, 
Now, how I live, how I think, what I do is going to get in line with Jesus, and it's going to look like Jesus. Now, it might be uh, sound arrogant in, in our culture sometimes for you to say, hey, look at me and follow me because that's, that's what I'm going to do is try to follow Jesus. But actually, that's exactly what Paul tells us. Paul actually says to, to, in a letter, follow me as I follow Christ. And what Paul is declaring there is, I'm going to resemble Christ. I'm going to follow Christ. I don't think Paul is saying, I'm never going to blow it. I'm never going to mess up. But he's saying, my heart is going to be to follow Christ in behavior, thought, action, all of it. And that's what I want as well for my life. I think that's what you want for your life as a Christian as well. I don't think any of us want to just stop at a belief system. So it carries out into practical. That's our definition that we've been using on what it means to be a Christian. I hope you'll kind of lock that in because I think it'll be real for you. And then when one of your friends comes up and says, you know, hey, what, is it, what does it really mean to be a Christian? I, feel, I hear all kinds of stuff. You can say, well, this is what we mean by Christian. And you can share that with them. Well, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, goes in much more depth about what is the belief of a Christian. So we're going to walk through it this morning. If you've got your notes, take a look at it. Um, We're going to go a little bit of a quick pace um, uh, for time this morning, but you'll have the notes and you'll be able to go back and reference and study on your own uh, as well. But I want to walk through each of the lines. So let's start with the first one. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, if we're not careful, we can fly right past that. That can be a take-for-granted thing. We say that all the time. The creator, almighty, made the earth, hallelujah. Let's go on, right? That's just kind of how we roll. When we start off and we say God is the creator of everything, of, of, of this thing we call earth, this thing we call our world, our galaxy, God is the creator. You have to realize right away in that declaration, you've put yourself into a minority. You've put yourself into a camp where you say, like, I'm actually deferring what I believe about this, and I'm putting my faith and trust in the hands of a God who created this, who has the ability to create this, And he did that. Listen, even among biblical scholars, there's debate. Well, was it millions of years that God kind of orchestrated all this? Was it 7,000 years? Let's just throw all of those people in the same camp. And we're still in a smaller group worldwide of believing and declaring that it is God who created this. It's a powerful dynamic statement when you say that. And then when you use the phrase almighty, almighty, you are saying something even greater, you're saying, like, he is everything. It's everything above me. In fact, you could take the word all, and you could think of an unlimited number of alls that would be kind of subcategories under almighty, right? And just saying, well, almighty, that covers all the alls, right? That's what it means when we declare he is almighty. It's a powerful, significant statement. In fact, there are times, and you might feel it too, When you get a little low, you feel a little beat up in life, that ever happened to you? You make a decision, you're like, that was stupid, why did I do that? I'm going to feel these effects. All kinds of things in life where even if you could just stop for a moment and be reminded, he's almighty. He's almighty. I can draw to him. Listen, last night I took uh, my wife to see a classical uh, violinist. Violinist? Violinist? I want to get that right. Uh, 
I took her to see, and, and I looked it up afterwards because as a sports fan, I want to know, well, what's the rankings on these things? And sure enough, somebody's ranked it. He's a 35th ranked violinist of, of all time. And I'm like, oh, wow, well, that's pretty good. 30, uh, 35 of all time, that's a pretty good deal. You know, I mean, I, I don't know who one or two is. I don't know how it works, but, uh, but he's a big deal, right? And I'm watching this guy, and we're close. We're in the fourth row. You know, I mean, I'm 15 feet from him. I've got this little cough going on, and I'm like, do not cough while this guy's playing. So they are going to escort you right out here. So I'm listening. I'm 15 feet away from this guy, and he's doing things, and I don't have a lot of classical music interests. Right? My wife knows this. Um, this and, and I'm watching this guy, and he's doing things, and I'm like, like, that doesn't feel possible. Like, it's a magic trick 15 feet in front of me on how he can get this thing to sound like what it sounds like, you know? One guy behind me said, I think smoke was coming off it. I didn't take it as a joke. I mean, I literally was like, that might, it could be. I mean, 35th, and I'm like, doesn't compare. What a small morsel at best is he compared to the Almighty? So when we declare Almighty, that's what we're declaring. Take great joy and pleasure and even let it minister to your heart just to declare that God is almighty. Look at what Genesis says, first verse of the Bible. When God began to create the heavens and the earth. You know what heavens mean there? It doesn't mean the spiritual realm somewhere. Uh, they actually mean the skies. So everything you walk out when you see this, when you see this, God created that. God was in charge of all that and put all that together. The second line goes right to his son. It says, in Jesus Christ, his only son. Then establishing a relationship right away. This, this guy we call Jesus that we talk about all the time in the church world, there is this connection with God and it's significant connection. Now, that may be kind of preaching to the choir here. You're kind of like, yeah, yeah, well, I know that. But there's all kinds of thoughts about this Jesus throughout our world, from never even really existed to really good man, good teacher. Some of his things came true. Some of his, they didn't. That's just teacher stuff. Uh, you know, or hey, he was a really significant uh, leader, lots of following, but he certainly didn't rise from the dead. That was kind of fabricated. All, kind, all the way to what we would say, where we would say, no, 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 he was the son of God, died, rose again, and we find our salvation through him. So to say this connection in Jesus Christ, his only son, puts a dramatic connection with Jesus that everyone in our world does not declare. Take a look at John 3.16. You might be familiar with it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Son, so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. The significant relationship. There's something about connecting with God that is found through Jesus Christ and it's declared right away. That's important for you. Because listen, you've got friends and families out there that are longing and seeking some connection with God. Maybe they can't even say God. They just want it to kind of be at peace in the world and right in their life. There's something out there kind of talking. And we come in and we say, we have come to believe that it's through Jesus Christ that I can have that connection with God because that's the connection that Scripture makes. His Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, even the idea that, wait, He came into this world? 
but he was conceived with the Holy Spirit. That God's Spirit itself had something to do with Jesus coming and offering this form of connection. You remember the Christmas story? We just got through it, right? Luke chapter 1. Then Mary said to the angel, how will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? I don't need to walk through that part, do I? You, you, okay, you got that part down. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is born will be holy. He will be called God's son. That here, coming into the world, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit himself, had a connection, made this happen. Born of a virgin Mary, while she was there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave forth birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Now, we don't quite get the, the gist of this today, the way they would understand it here in, in, in the context. Because for us, I mean, the virgin is only ever the butt of the jokes in the movies and in the sitcoms, Right? It, it's the dorky little person over there, uh, that, that kind of thinking, right? But the idea of somebody who is saying, I, I'm going to remain pure for this person that God will bring, for this union, for this connection, that was significant, very significant. And so here, the idea that, that God would use somebody who had been setting themselves apart for that one day, and here God is coming in, in the Holy Spirit, she becomes pregnant in this way. There's a dramatic uh, understanding there that we don't always get in our modern day context. So Jesus comes into the world in this way. Now, if you want to critique the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, this would be the place to critique it. Why? Because we just talked about he came into the world, right, through a virgin. What's the next line? Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Whoa, that's a big jump, right? I mean, we just went from birth all the way to death just like this. You know? And sometimes if we're not careful, if we lean into that in our life, we forget the life Jesus has to offer every single day. Remember the, the book of John last year? We walked through half the book of John. We took us half the year. We walked through half the book of John. And in that time, we constantly said Jesus' message was not, I'm going to the cross soon, guys. After I go to it, then, you know, there'll be something for you. If you hang on through your life, once you die, you'll get it. His message was, you can be my follower right now in life. Life is offered now. Now, I'm going to go to the cross, and guess what? If you will believe on that, life will be offered right at that moment. And you're going to die one day. Life will continue right past death. When everything you've heard up till now is you're dead, it's over. There is life. That was Jesus' message. And so we want to understand that is there as well. But suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, if you've ever gone through the Gospels and you've read just, just kind of the, like the trial, the arrest and trial accounts that you find uh, in there, uh, all four Gospels to some degree talk about this. Um, if you look at that, what you may not have picked up on is how incredibly political uh, that time is and that arrest is. You see, you had the religious leaders who, they were orchestrating this arrest, but they couldn't really arrest themselves. 
but the Roman Empire who had control of the area, they're the ones who actually could decree and declare things. But guess what they didn't want to do? We don't want to mess with the Jewish religion. We don't want to get involved in that. We don't want to become known as people that are dictating what this Jewish religion is all about. So there was a lot of confusion in there on, on how this arrest would happen. How would they ever get to the point where they would crucify Jesus? And so who comes into play into this? Pontius Pilate. And Pilate basically, you could sum up like this. Pilate didn't see anything wrong, didn't think Jesus had done anything, didn't want to walk forward and have this crucifixion, but he also didn't want to face the anger of the religious leaders who had a lot of authority and power in the area he was supposed to keep at peace. And so what does he eventually do? He turns Jesus over to be crucified. Take a look at it uh, in uh, let's see, it's John chapter 19. The Jewish leaders cried out, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And Pilate responded, what, do you want me to crucify your king? We have no king except the emperor. The chief priest answered, verse 16, then Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. And so that's how it shows up in the creed this way, because Pilate would have the final word and decision. Now, the next line is significant. He was crucified, died, and buried. Why would that be such a big deal? Seems a little redundant. Why didn't they just say he died? Because it's significant that they say he was crucified. There was some uh, actually prophecy in the Old Testament that would prophesy this. And so he was crucified, and he actually died. And you may think, well, yeah, I know that. I'm a Christian. You know, I've been in church all my life. But almost immediately after Jesus died, there was reports about him rising from the dead very soon, right? And so a couple thoughts came out. One, well, he didn't really rise from the dead. That's just those believers saying that kind of thing. They're a bunch of cuckoos, right? Or he was never dead in the first place. Took him off the cross before he died. You know, they got him through his wounds, healed him up, and now he's back out and they're concocting this story of he's dying. So the Apostles' Creed now, several hundred years later, is wanting to definitively say, no, no, this is what we believe about it. He actually died, and he was buried. And so we get these three passages. Let me just look, read them to you. They're all in John 19. Carrying his cross by himself, he went out to the place called Skull Place in Aramaic Golgotha. That's where they crucified him and the two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the middle. When, they received the, when he received the sour wine, Jesus said, it is complete. Maybe it is finished is your translation. Bowing his head, he gave up his life. Following Jesus, uh, Jewish burial customs, they took Jesus' body and wrapped it with spices and linen cloths. There was a garden in the place where Jesus was crucified. And in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish preparation day, then the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus in it. So it's a powerful statement to say, Jesus, the Son of God, sent here to offer life, to sin, re to sin redemption, died, actually died. Now, uh, it's interesting, I, I, last couple of years, we've had several teachings uh, strategically, really, on Sabbath, right? All the way to the point, like some of you, if I bring up Sabbath, you go, oh, here he goes again. You know? <laughs> it's never about guilt. It's always about what God has to offer us when we follow Sabbath. But notice Jesus goes and he dies on a, a Friday. 
and he rises on a Sunday. We'll talk about the days in just a moment. But what day was he fully in the grave? Sabbath. As the Sabbath began on Friday night, all through the Sabbath on Saturday, Jesus was at rest. And then he comes forth, as we know, on Sunday. Now, this last line, line can be a little confusing, and people have gone different ways on it. Uh, he descended into hell. Have you, do you know this line? Um, and so out of this, there kind of developed a bit of a, a theology. It actually developed almost a thousand years later, this theology of Jesus when he died on the cross, as soon as he breathed his last, that he actually, like him or his spirit, descended into hell. Like hell, the thinking hell there is like, you know, where the bad people go, right? People that don't know God are down in hell. And that he went down and, and did something with them, ministered to them or, or did something there. And then came up out of it and he rose on Sunday. But this has mainly been a theology that has developed out of the creed or out of a kind of a, a strong contrast of heaven good, hell bad, kind of a thing that developed later. Let me tell you just if you look just language-wise what's being stated here. He descended into hell, or Hades is the actual word that it would have been written in. Hades is a Greek word for the Hebrew word Sheol. Have you ever seen that in your Old Testament when you're reading and you're like, Sheol, I don't know what that is, so you just move on. All right? It simply means this, grave. That's what it means. Went into the grave. Often when you say Sheol or Hades and you say grave, you're meaning death and went into death, into the grave or buried. Now we know for Jesus, it was like a tomb that he was placed in. That was his burial there. And so that's really what the writers of both of these creeds would have been thinking, would have been writing when they say this, that Jesus died and he was placed in the grave. That's where he was, dead in the grave which leads to kind of a triumph on the next line here. The third day, he rose, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead on the third day. Now, have you ever done the math on that? And you've been like, third day, three days. He wasn't dead three days. They don't know how to count, right? Because <laughs> for us, we're very linear, one, two, three. But in the Jewish counting system, Friday was day one. The day you were on would have been day one. So Jesus died on Friday. We call it Good Friday. One of the most impactful services we do every year is our Good Friday service. Saturday, day two, that day of Sabbath where Jesus is in the grave the whole day, and then Sunday, day three, when he raised. All three in, in the Jewish counting system would have been counted as days, three periods of time that Jesus was down, and now he raises from the dead. John chapter 20, verse 14, as soon as she had seen this, Mary, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she didn't know it was Jesus. There was Jesus, and she was interacting with Jesus. Just one of many passages about how Jesus appeared or interacted with disciples. Do you remember Thomas? What did he say? Like, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hands in those holes. He gets the name Downing Thomas, you know, for that. Um, and then when he sees Jesus, like, I don't need to put my hands in any holes. No, I believe you're here. All right. Lots of passages that talk about him rising from the dead. Now, further on in the creed, we get where he ascends up into heaven. We talk about this Ascension Sunday. 
is found in the book of Acts, if you've wondered where that's at. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And Jesus said these things, after Jesus said these things, as they, the disciples, were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away and they were staring towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them and said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking up, uh, looking towards heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus ascends up into heaven. These two angels, these two men in white, look down and say, all right, why are you staring? You know, he just gave you, he just told you to go share you know, to go out and reach the world. So quit staring up to heaven, go reach the world. Jesus will come back just as he said. Go get on mission is what he's talking about here. But we actually get references later of this in the book of Revelation where Jesus is at the right hand of God. That's what John sees in the throne room, this type of setup. It says, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Now we've talked about this from the book of John where we said, Jesus says, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. So why here we get a passage on judgment? Because Jesus was not sent to come to earth to judge. He was sent to save. But there is a time where judgment will happen. And God even says, Jesus will preside over judgment. Take a look at John chapter (laughs) 5. Just as the Father has life in himself, so he granted the Son to have life in himself. He gives the Son authority to judge because he's the human one. But don't be surprised by this because the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. Those who did good things will come out into resurrection of life and those who did wicked things into the resurrection of judgment. So there is, there is a judgment that comes and Jesus presides. But that's not why he came to earth when he came in human form. But the day will come. In fact, we're studying that on, on Wednesday nights right now in our Bible study in Revelation. We're about to get to that, that judgment, right? We've been telling our group up till now, early on, every time it talks about kind of future stuff, we always want to say, judgment, judgment, judgment. But it's actually not. It's grace, mercy, hope. But when we get to chapter 16, we start to see judgment. So if you want to get in on that, Wednesday night, come join us. You hear about that. I'm now, switches gears. I believe in the Holy Spirit, That there is now, Jesus has ascended up into heaven, and guess what? There is a Holy Spirit, though, that comes, and who is with you, known as the Comforter, to be with you. When the day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire room where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. The Holy Spirit is given. Now, it's not like the Holy Spirit was created this moment. The Holy Spirit, we see the Spirit of God throughout the Old Testament as well. But here the Holy Spirit is given for a specific purpose, to be with the disciples and with you and I. In fact, when we say, I receive Jesus into my heart, um, I know what we mean. But if we want to think biblically, what you receive into your heart You receive the Holy Spirit into your life as your guide, your counselor, your comforter, your leader. We're followers of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's what the writers of the creed are wanting to declare here. The Holy Catholic Church. Now, some of you might have grown up in the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, That's not what's being referred to here. It's the church universal, the church God, or Jesus established is what he's referring to here. 
Ephesians gives us a little glimpse, which is his body, Jesus' body. His body, the church, is the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. So the significance of church, being a part of a body of believers, and here, the holy, the one universal church. Set apart, that's what the word holy means, for purpose. The communion of saints, drawing together of believers. What do you think of when you hear the word saint? Who is the saints? You ever thought about that? I mean, I'm thinking like Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, like Bob Geyer here, you know, like those are, those are the saints here. But you know, biblically who the saints are? Anybody who's put their faith and trust in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross and his resurrection, anyone is saints. You're a saint if you put your faith and hope in that. And here, even the writers of the, of the creed early on are saying, saints need community. Saints need fellowship. Saints need to build one another up and commune with each other. Saints need to go out and be on mission together. We need one another. Church at home, not enough. We need to be a part of a body of believers, of saints. The very first youth group I was ever in was called JC Body Shop, right? A take on, on this concept of body, but it came from this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit that has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. The forgiveness of sins. Notice this is so significant. The cornerstones of our faith is that you can be forgiven, I can be forgiven, and that I can turn around and forgive someone else. I forgive you, you forgive me, God forgives us. Forgiveness is a cornerstone of this Christian faith. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from everything we've ever done wrong. Forgiveness is significant. And so we declare in the creed here on the significance of forgiveness. The resurrection of the body. Now this is an interesting one because we don't always think this way. And I want to give you a little contextual insight on why this shows up. Let me read the passage first. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, it's 51 and 52. Listen, I'm telling you a secret. All of you won't die, but we will all be changed. In an instant, in the blink of an eye, at the final trumpet, the trumpet will blast and the dead will be raised with bodies that won't decay and we will be changed. The dominant Jewish thinking, we, find, we see it throughout the Old Testament, and we even see Jesus and Paul give reference to it, is this idea that when you died, those of you who are faithful believers, when you died, you went to the grave, Sheol, Hades, in the grave, and that's where you stayed until Jesus returns and calls all the faithful and the believers to himself. And that's where we get this resurrection of the body mentality. That is really like the dominant understanding uh, throughout the Old Testament and the Jewish understanding in the New Testament uh, as well. Now, there are several passages where people, where it appears more like we go straight to heaven. You die, you go straight to heaven. Most funerals you go to, somebody will say, we're really sad, but they're with Jesus today. And so biblical scholars are a little divided on this based on how they read passages and look at context and those type of things uh, as well. Either way, wherever you were to land from a biblical scholar standpoint, because we're all biblical scholars to a degree, um, we're going to eternity with Jesus 
when you close your eyes on the last moment, a faithful follower of Jesus, when you open them the next time, you are with God for eternity. That's why, though, you see in these early creeds especially, the phrasing show up, resurrection of the body, and what it's referring to here. To be raised, whether it's instantaneous when you die, or later when Jesus returns, Uh, again, there's debate among that, but you will be raised to be with God eternally. In fact, that's what the next line is, and life everlasting. Life given through Jesus now, the moment you believe, and it will continue right past death. Death won't touch it. You'll go right past it. Do you understand that concept was huge for them? It's huge. For us, our concept sometimes, and I think we've got it wrong, is just, just hang on, endure. There'll be life one day. We'll get it when we die. Their concept was, no, we get life in Jesus. And they had to be convinced of the idea that, and it will continue past your death in Jesus. Like, whoa, wow, there's something more. So let's remember the life everlasting. Here's what John 5 says. I assure you that whoever hears my word and believes in the one who sent me, what? Has eternal life and won't come under judgment, but has passed from death into the life. The moment they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, that's not the end of this, and it's really not a a prayer. It's a creed to be said and recited, but how does the creed finish? What's the last line? You can say it. Amen. I put it in your notes for you. (laughs) Amen. Now, I don't know. I grew up, you know, you say amen, and that's the end, right? So, Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. No, the end. Let's eat, you know, right? I mean, let's move on to the next thing. Um, but amen means this. Uh, yes and yes. Any of you have in your translation sometimes verily, verily? Do you have translation that says verily, verily? Like, we don't ever talk that way, right? You do go to a sporting event and somebody makes a basket and you're like, verily, verily. No, I mean, it would be, they should try that. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. Yeah, we don't use that phrase, but when we say that, like you can even feel very, very like it's, it's kind of a resounding, I'm with you, yes, yes. That is what amen means. When we declare it, we mean yes and yes. So you can see if you recite these words, why it's very appropriate to end them with yes, amen, amen. Like in some places, you know, the pastor gets up here and says something and the congregation says, amen. Amen. Yes. Right. And I, and we don't say amen because we're like, man, that pastor, what a great line. That's tweetable. Right. Uh, no, who cares about that? Right. We got enough pastor celebrities in this world. Right. No, it's we say amen because we're like, yes, I claim that. I'm going to live that. I'm going to go out and share that. Yes. Amen. So this morning, as we close this out, this creed could be just another biblical system reciting. It could be very academic. Or you could finish it with your life today and say, amen. Amen. I'm going to go out there and live out what we just, what we just read and we just studied and we just looked at. I'm going to live out the verses attached to it. I've got somebody in my life who needs to hear some portion of what we shared. Yes, amen. I'm going to go share that with them. So I will say now at the end of this, Amen and amen. 
Well, hey, tomorrow, uh, as we've been doing, uh, we've been sending out our prayer text. The last couple of weeks, you guys have been really trusting us, I think, with your prayer requests. Every once in a while, somebody says, eh, it's, it's kind of small. I don't know, you know. Like, we love small prayer requests, so it's great. They're usually much bigger. Uh, when we get them, we think they're a big deal. Um, this, la- this week at the gym, a lady asked me to pray for her cat. Oh, uh, I've got three cats, right? I'm sim- I don't think I've ever prayed for them, but maybe I should. So, but like, I'm just thinking, I don't know where she's at with the Lord. I don't know if she has any interest or any background or just that she's like, well, I'm working out next to this pastor. I guess that's the best route to go for my cat. Um, but I said, I, yeah, I'll pray for your cat. So, so whatever it is, let us know. We want to pray for you. Um, send that in. The men love it on Wednesday night when they can pray and they can go late praying shooting the breeze and praying, go late. So they, they, they love all that. So the other groups that pray throughout the week and the individuals I send it, they love praying for that. Again, if it's something private and you don't want all those groups, just click the no name on there and that won't go past me. Um, but you'll at least know I'm covering you in prayer and we can chat if you need to uh, as well. So sound good?